Welcome to RNZ's Insight Program. I'm Philippa Tolley. This edition, Property versus Weather. The Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Jan Wright, has warned that thousands of New Zealand homes will be directly affected by climate change. She says rising sea levels, more frequent storms and flooding and increased coastal erosion will affect the viability of individual properties and whole communities. But what can be done to protect those homes? And what, if any compensation, can property owners expect if they're forced to sacrifice their homes to the elements? David Zimmerman lives at East Beach in the North Taranaki town of Waitara. His home is right on the shoreline and recent storms have left him in little doubt about the power of the ocean. Cindy and I were giving each other sideways glances, you know, because we hear this big roaring and the wind, just the wind and the rain, and you can hear the sea, it, it sounds as if it's going to come in right in the front door. Willie McGregor owns four properties on Anzac Parade in Whanganui. He's had his own run-in with nature. The day was just like any other rainy day. It was persistent, it was just generally drizzle. It just didn't give up. It wasn't torrential, it was drizzle. And uh, we thought nothing more of it is just an everyday rainy day. But we got a bang on the door about quarter to ten at night. And I mean, it was a really bang on the door. I thought they were coming through it. And basically it was the police and the army. And they had a red cross follow with them and they said, you have to leave your house, the rivers versus banks, you have to leave now. More than 9,000 homes in New Zealand are built on land that lies less than 50 centimetres above spring high tide levels. That's more than the number of homes red zoned after the Christchurch earthquakes. Sea levels rose by 20 centimetres over the last century and this is set to accelerate. Some estimates say by as much as 30 centimetres over the next 50 years. But who is responsible for tackling this challenge? The Environment Minister, Nick Smith, says it won't be the government. So predominantly the responsibility will still rest um, with uh, local and regional government. Uh, I'm not ruling out the fact that sometimes right now the government steps in and provides assistance and some of the issues in Christchurch are in that category. But generally speaking, because uh, these are such localised issues, the responsibility will primarily rest with those local and regional authorities, not central government. I'm Robin Martin, and this insight visits people living with the consequences of climate change and asks who is responsible for doing something about it. It's been almost 18 months since the devastating floods hit Whanganui, and if you took a stroll along Anzac Parade, you could be forgiven for thinking it's business as usual. But if you take a closer look, you'll notice the derelict homes where barely a finger has been lifted, and every few hundred metres, the for sale signs of people wanting to get out. A local resident, Willie McGregor, has offered to show me around his properties. So we're walking into a uh, freshly renovated place. It's got that lovely... Fresh paint smell and everything. Yeah. So tell us, um, how many how many properties are you involved with down here? Uh, three on Anzac Parade and one in behind, and all were affected. My car that was 
parked up on the driveway at the house at the back, where he's written off. I had a um, Ningrass swimming pool here for a, a good few weeks after the flood finished. And um, in, in this, this particular property, this was the worst affected of your, of your rentals? Of the rentals, this one here was. The water came up about a, a metre on the inside, uh, which meant that by the time they came in to assess it, the water had um, risen up the walls and touched the roof. So virtually all the walls right to the roof were taken out and had to be replaced. Willie McGregor says he's been told he should look to get out of the area. We watched everything unfold. We went to many meetings that the council put on for us. Um, experts in their fields telling us uh, it was a 100-year flood. They increased it to a 150-year flood. Then they finally came back to saying, telling us, well, it's an 85-year flood. And I find that hard to understand simply because we've had three of these floods since 2002. And this was by far the, the worst of the three of them, you know. With the next one supposedly going to come within five years. And so we've really been uh, quietly just told, pack your bags and uh, head for higher ground. So has there been any specific instruction about what um, people down here on Anzac Parade should be, should be doing? Well, they've just been told, you know, um, we've warned you, there is another one coming. If you stay, you know, it's, it's on your own shoulders. You've been warned to get out. What they don't take into account is what do we do with the houses we're in? Who do we sell them to? How can you, in good faith, sell it on to someone knowing full well that they're going to be buying some that could be underwater and go through what we've just been through ourselves? I don't know that I could live with myself in that regard. With a 30-centimetre predicted rise in sea levels, 100-year high water events would be expected to occur once a year in Wellington and Christchurch and every four years in Auckland and every second year in Dunedin. These would be exacerbated when storm surges coincided with king tides. All this means that flooding of coastal areas will become more frequent, more severe and more extensive. And erosion too, that long familiar problem around New Zealand's coasts, will become more widespread. Territorial local authorities and regional councils have overlapping responsibility for many of the services that will need to deal with the impacts of climate change from flood protection to stormwater systems and seawalls. The Whanganui Mayor Hamish McDool came to Kofi Park on the banks of the Whanganui River to explain what protections the city has in place at the moment. OK, so this is a stop bank that was widened um, in the last uh, few years because it just was manifestly not wide enough to uh, hold back the river. Essentially it failed um, in 2013, just further down. It's a 50-year stop bank. Um, and, yeah, obviously when you get a 80-plus year uh, flood event, it wasn't sufficient in uh, 2015. Mr McDool says a retreat from Anzac Parade has to be part of any discussion about what to do in the future, but it's not the only option. Yeah, look, it, it's, a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. There are some people who are... Uh, looking at um, what's called managed retreat, uh, essentially getting out of um, Anzac Parade, uh, which is the road just over there. Uh, and I think some 200 houses were flooded in June 2015. 
So yeah, and then the other, the other choice is to raise this to, you know, raise this above 50 years, maybe make it a 1,800-year uh, stock bank. Mr McDool says any decision on improving the stock banks is the Whanganui Manawatu Regional Councils to make. In 2010, the Regional Council built one in 200-year flood protection for the Balgoni industrial area and asked ratepayers if similar work should be done at Putiki and Anzac Parade. They balked at the $5 million cost and instead $1 million was spent on improving the integrity of the existing stop banks in 2011. Putiki and Anzac Parade were inundated in 2015, a 1 in 130 year flood event which overall cost the Central North Island $270 million. Raymond Strong is the head of the River Management Group of the Regional Council which is known as Horizons. He says in the new year the council will begin a conversation with the community about what to do now. In essence, it has, I guess, four components to it. Uh, are, are you happy with things the way they are? Uh, would you like to pay for a higher standard of, of flood protection? Is there, um, is there some scope to look at raising properties to, um, uh, I, I guess, provide a degree of flood protection? Or is there a wider question about removing those properties? Willie McGregor knows his preference. Well, personally, I would have thought that it would have been in the council's best interest to buy up all the houses that did go under. Um, they could have come in and bought those up and just wipe them off. Wipe them off. And maybe that could have helped those of us that are down here to get up on higher ground. But who is going to pay for that? And what precedent would such a move set? The Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Jan Wright, raised the issue in a report a year ago, preparing for rising seas, certainty and uncertainty. She suggested a government agency similar to EQC could be formed to compensate homeowners for properties lost to sea level rise, erosion and floods. I described um, all of this as a slowly unfolding red zone, like the red zone in Christchurch. And people have got caught there through no fault of their own. Um, I think there needs to be some thinking through of how you deal with that, because buying property alongside that river in good faith, um, expecting you know some possibility of flooding, but a low probability when that probability is, is now going to increase. Um, it is pretty very tough on those people. So you know there need to be, on the one hand, some hard-headed financial decisions, but also, I think, um, a quite a lot of empathy for people who are caught in this situation. Mr Strong, however, is not counting on a central government handout. It would be great if central government had some sort of, albeit even contestable, fund that could help the process. But from Horizon's perspective, I guess we're not under any illusions in that regard. And, and that is that if that's an approach that is opted for in that Kaua Park Anzac Parade area, we would have to look at funding models within the region. I, I certainly don't think that there's much scope um, we don't have a great expectation that, that central government would assist with that. It would be great if they did, but we're not under any illusions in that regard. Even Miss Wright seems to have softened her stance from when she wrote the report in November 2015. When we have natural disasters, there is compensation often from central government and from local government, from councils. But, you know, those are natural disasters which we regard as sort of random events like earthquakes. But where something is more predictable 
there won't be endless compensation available over the years as this becomes more and more of a problem and more and more people are affected. So what I want the government to do and councils do is just think ahead where they might go and have these discussions. But I think they also need to have those discussions with people in their communities and maybe come up with some solutions together. Ms Wright says the insurance industry is well aware of the impending changes. People from insurance companies and the insurance industry worldwide is right on to this. And for them, you know, they insure against risks, things where things are probable, and they know that this is beyond probability now, this is a certainty. And so... I don't want to see a situation where people are just suddenly wake up one morning and find that their premium has become unaffordable for the insurance or if they just can't get insurance at all. And that's what will happen unless we get some stronger um, guidance and help from, from government. The Chief Executive of the Insurance Council of New Zealand, Tim Grafton, says the industry's approach in Christchurch, where parts of the city sunk by up to a metre and a half, is an indication of how it might respond to climate change. That, in effect, was analogous to a, an acceleration in climate change uh, and uh, something that would have happened over uh, a few decades uh, happened effectively overnight and led to some parts of Christchurch flooding frequently. The response there was for insurers to uh, increase the excess, uh, and that excess uh, increased to about $10,000 for properties that were getting frequently flooded. Uh, so that kind of experience is a uh, almost a climate change fast forward. The next step would be to increase premiums and introduce policy exclusions for flooding or erosion, for example. Mr Grafton says an evaluation of the likely damage to existing properties at risk from the effects of climate change needs to be done and compared to the estimated cost of protecting them. It's really an economic question if you can uh, invest in adaptation and the cost of that adaptation uh, on a discounted cash flow basis is less than the cost of the damage that will occur, then it makes sense to do that adaptation. Uh, and, and, but that's a uh, complex piece of work that needs to be done. And if it doesn't make sense to do that, uh, then we've got an issue. And the question is, is how do you manage that issue? And that doesn't mean everybody sort of packs up their bags and <laughs> moves tomorrow. But it's how do you manage that situation for people who are vulnerable in, and uh, how can you do that? Sue Bidrose is the chief executive of the Dunedin City Council and she describes the suburb of South Dunedin hit by severe flooding last year. Oh, so we're standing in, uh, at the edge of Bathgate Park in South Dunedin, so it's part of the area and in, in th there's a number of them across Dunedin that are low-lying, that are less than 50 centimetres above sea level. It's a beautiful park, you know, ringed by, oh, I, don't, I hate to think how old, 70-year-old trees. It's very peaceful. The, the Donaghy's Rope Walk, which is where they... Great big one, you know, one entire city block where they used to uh, stretch out hemp to be, well, you know, old-fashioned hemp, not modern hemp, to be twisted and turned into rope. Um, is runs alongside us, and it really is a glorious part of the city's history here. To where we're standing now, we would have been sort of mid-shin up underwater um, a, a bit over a, a year ago, June 2015, in the flood. Almost 3,000 Dunedin homes are built on land less than 50 centimetres above sea level most of them in South Dunedin. In June last year, 1,200 properties were flooded, racking up a $28 million insurance bill and costing the council almost $3 million. The council later had to admit a faulty pump station on Portobello Road 
made the flood 20 centimetres deeper than it would have been otherwise. Nevertheless, Jan Wright is worried about the suburb's future. There are particular, if you like, hot spots around the country. Uh, one that is a particular concern, and the city is well aware of this, is in South Dunedin, which was built on a marsh. The water table under it, parts of it, goes up and down with the tides already. So as the high tides get higher, that water table gets higher. So, you know, we were told things like uh, builders won't, won't dig a post hole uh, during high tide because it would just fill up with water. Ms Bidrose, however, is hopeful that because sea level rise will be incremental, there will be enough time to manage the problems facing the suburb. Sumps combined with pumping stations and even dikes and windmills have been suggested as potential solutions. Ms Bidrose says if the worst-case scenario does play out, there is no way the city could afford to remove all the homes and resettle the residents. Yeah, we've got a third of the country's challenge if you're talking about houses that are less than 50 centimetres above sea level. So that is why some of this is a central government issue. I've got 50,000 rating units, households, who simply can't afford to foot all of this bill on their own. And, and as yet, I mean, it seems to me the uh, size of the number of houses less than 50 centimetres above sea level is about the same size as the Christchurch red zone, about a similar number of houses. Uh, uh, the government at some point made a decision they needed to step in around that one and, and we are in early discussions with various bureaucratic branches of the government about, uh, about the role that government wants to play as we seek to, um, to start to look to the future for this. Dunedin residents generally shared the city's chief executive's concerns. So I've got friends who have a house and they know with just a little bit of rain, they know their backyard's going to get flooded. It's a concern, but then knowing that, why would you want to live somewhere where you have those issues? Because we're so close to the, the sea level, you've got to wonder when there's floods, where does it go? Climate change, I think they exaggerate the effects of climate change. It shouldn't be homeowners because we didn't know this stuff years ago and it shouldn't just be put on Dunedin Council because it's, it's bigger than them. I think it's all reclaimed land so sort of nature's going to take back what was originally here. The Environment Minister Nick Smith spoke to Insight on behalf of the various government ministries juggling with the challenges of climate change. Mr Smith says the government is acting on many of Jan Wright's recommendations including giving clearer direction to local authorities. He says there's a bill before Parliament to amend the Resource Management Act, which will give greater weight to the management of natural hazards, including climate change. And once that is passed, the next step will be to draft the National Policy Statement on Climate Change Hazards and the Interrelated Flooding and Storm Hazards. Mr Smith says this will sit alongside, but not supersede, earlier policy statements and guidance manuals. What the National Policy Statement will do is give more legal weighting and grunt to the issues of natural hazards and climate change in the broader resource consent decision-making that councils are making. At the moment, there's quite a nervousness uh, of putting any restrictions on development uh, because of the risk of appeal to the Environment Court, uh, because of uh, the backlash whereas if there is the firm backing of a national policy statement, it will make it easier for councils to be able to better manage these hazards. Mr Smith says homeowners whose properties are affected by climate change should not, however, 
expect a handout from the government. You also need to be very cautious uh, of the government creating the expectation of compensation because in people making individual decisions about the valuations of property and whether they invest on them, you don't want the assumption being made, hey, look, I know it's high risk. The Lim report tells me that there's a risk of climate change on it, but I'm not going to worry about that risk because there's a promise from government that they will bail me out, insure me or compensate me. That would create the wrong incentives, and that is why the government is cautious of creating an expectation uh, of compensation or a payout from government in those circumstances. But Mr Smith concedes there might be some exceptions and draws on the Christchurch earthquakes example. Private property owners hoping for support instead from local government might have to think again. Local Government New Zealand's President Lawrence Yule also believes the majority of costs should fall upon private landowners. Now, I don't think there's any magic bullet here that would say that actually somebody, whether it's central or local government, should fund all of that cost because actually they are private property rights and they're around value issues. Absolutely, there will be loss of property values at some point. Uh, and what we've got to be really careful of is that decisions are long-term strategic and publicly available so that people do not transfer the risk to unwitting next buyers um, by, by getting out now and selling it to somebody, which becomes their problem. And it doesn't just include... Um, private property. It includes things like ports, airports, roading infrastructure, sewage treatment plants. There's a number of public good elements that will be caught in this that is going to have to be worked through as well. Mr Yule is more concerned about getting a coordinated response to climate change up and running as soon as possible. This is a really difficult problem to deal with. It is over generations and you can predict out over the next hundred years but we have political cycles that only last three. And so it's very easy for people to say this is too hard, leave it to somebody else. But I have a counter view to that, that the, actually the sooner we start dealing with this, talking about guidelines, common standards, all the rest of it, the better place that our children and grandchildren will be in um, in 100 years' time. Dr Jeremy Gibb owns Kerry Kerry Business Coastal Management Consultancy. He has pioneered coastal hazard planning in New Zealand over the past four decades and the piecemeal approach to the problem bemuses him. The danger is, for example, with sea level rise is that it's rising currently at about 3.3 millimetres a year. So people look at that on a ruler and they say, well, what's the problem? But it's where it can finish up that it could be up to, say, a metre by the end of the century, worst case scenario, and for a two-degree warming, it could be up to three metres, but maybe over one or two or three centuries. So it's inevitable uh, that things are happening, and it's just a question of what are we going to do? When are we going to actually deal with this issue? Dr Gibbs says the first step has to be a clear direction from government, followed by an action plan that would be specific to each problem area. For example, if you took South Dunedin, an action plan there might be that taking the inevitability of sea level rise, are they going to adopt the option of diking, stop banking and pumping, or relocation? So they have some choices in there, and then they buy into that decision in enough time to do something about it. 
And the same with, say, taking another example, which is uh, the Kapiti Coast District, which is built on sand dunes and perhaps the mount where the principal hazard is erosion from sea, sea level rise. And as that increases, what are they going to do about the front line of houses? Are they going to build a rock revetment which will waste the beach like it has at Raumati South or do managed retreat along the coast and pull back the beachfront properties? They need to take those decisions now and buy into it and make the hard decisions so that we're prepared. None of this will be easy listening to Dave Zimmerman and his neighbours at East Beach Waitara. He wants someone, anyone, to stand up and take control of the situation there. I'd like to see somebody take responsibility um, down here for this. It's, it's not up to me to go and build a big rock wall out in front here. Um, surely someone's responsible, like the New Plymouth District Council for one, possibly regional council, possibly the owners of the land here, but the, the raw Hutu block... Uh, trustees, but uh, their responsibility, as far as I'm aware, ends at the um, the high tide mark. Liam Hodgetts is in charge of coastal hazards policy at the New Plymouth District Council. He says the East Beach properties are not covered. New Plymouth District Council's policy um, adopted sort of uh, in 1995 is primarily to protect anything of, that is a significant public asset. Waitara, East Beach or Rahutu Brock um, it's, it's uh, Maori Trust owned land um, and in that classification it's private land so we wouldn't be interested um, from a public money point of view to be um, trying to protect a private asset and um, so the approach to Waitara East Beach is one in which we're working with the trustees to um, get them to understand um, the potential storm surge vulnerability there and also to help them understand how they might relocate over time towards a, uh, you know, a, a separation distance from that coastal zone that perhaps doesn't present the, um, the hazard that it currently does to them. That's cold comfort to Dave Zimmerman and the existing residents at East Beach. Basically we're going to get washed away. We need protection from the sea. Uh, nature is nature and uh, nobody can stop nature. But we need a bit of protection from it. Uh, not only us down here, but my, my view is the whole country the whole country, because of global warming, uh, the seas are rising, uh, is going to take the land away if nothing's done about it. And unfortunately, it looks like that is what's going to happen to us down here if we don't get some form of protection and a big rock wall out the front right along the beach line to protect all of the, the whānau living down here. I'm Robin Martin, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this program, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. That program was presented by Robin Martin. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. If you'd like to catch other insights, have a look around the webpage or head to iTunes. If you have a moment, give us a rating. I'm Philippa Tolley. Thanks for listening.